Hey, Community of Faith, I hope you're good today. I hope uh, this week is uh, going to be a good week for you. And I know that we're all really looking forward to September 13th. I can't wait for that, uh, but it's not here yet. And I believe God is already working in our time together. And I think he wants to do some more work in us and through us over the next few minutes. And so I've um, kind of set this up. You know, I, I, I've said this many times. You've heard me talk about, I grew up in a really small town. One of the good things about growing up in a small town is that you got to compete in every sport that was offered because there just weren't a lot of people. And so in order to field a team for football, basketball, baseball, golf, tennis, all the different sports, everybody had to participate. The downside is, is that it was Texas. And in Texas, football is king. And uh, the reality for my hometown is that in those days, my hometown was really bad at football. We were terrible. My senior year, our football team won one football game. And it was against a JV football team. And I think we won 12 to 7. Our team missed both extra points. Uh, just a miserable season. And by the end, everybody's tired of getting beat. Everybody's kind of exhausted of going through the weekly grind of practices. And it's just this weird place to kind of land at the end of the year. And you're like, man, that was, that was kind of a bust. What's interesting is that it always kind of carried over. Football season set the tone for the rest of the year. And so even in basketball, as you moved into the spring, got into spring sports, there was a mindset that I think we began to carry with us from sport to sport. And I'll never forget one of the conversations that my head baseball coach had with us my sophomore year of high school. We had not been very good in football or basketball, and we got to baseball season, and we actually made the playoffs. And I remember before our first practice, before the playoff game started, he sat us down and he just said, guys, you got to get your mind right. You got to have some confidence because right now you guys already assume you're going to lose this game. He said, we have a loser's mindset. We have a loser's mentality. And he said, as soon as you walk onto the field with that mindset, you might as well just forfeit the game. And that stuck with me. What he was trying to get us to do was to begin to think differently. He wanted us to begin to consider like, hey, maybe we are good enough to win this game. Because if we don't believe we're good enough to win, there's really no way we're going to win. And I just started thinking about that as I was preparing for today and thinking about where we are in 2020. A friend of mine posted a picture this week on Facebook and it said, 2020% done with 2020. I was like, man, that's so true. Even Monday, I sat down and I've talked about this before, but I, I journal, um, I write out a lot of my prayers. Sometimes I don't even write prayers. I just kind of begin to dump everything that's in my brain because my mind is all over the place. And even this past week on Monday morning early, kind of my, my, uh, my morning routine, I just sat down and started making a list of all the things I was a little bit anxious about, all the things I was um, stressed out about, some of the things that were consuming my mind, good and bad. And I just started writing them down. This past week, I had another birthday, so I'm another year older, aging. There were two hurricanes stirring in the Gulf. Wasn't sure what was gonna happen with those. I knew that I had to prepare to teach this message, and so I was thinking about exactly what I was gonna teach and how I was gonna teach that. And then I started thinking about all that's going on in my family. My boys are uh, fixing to start school, and it's gonna be a, a year that looks different. Uh, they're also starting sports, and there's just a different anxiety and caution there. I started thinking about the church reopening. I was like, there's a lot going on with that as well. I'm excited about it, but I want to do it well. But ultimately, we want to create an experience where people meet Jesus and experience Jesus together. And that can be overwhelming to think about. I started thinking about my wife being back at school, back, on, back um, in, in the workplace. 
just a lot of things going on in my head. And I started to get overwhelmed and started to just kind of have this mindset. And I just kind of laid it all out. And then I stopped and I thought, oh, and also COVID (laughs) is still there. There's still an economic crisis. Just the night before, there was another shooting in Wisconsin that um, causes a lot of questions, a lot of hurt, a lot of sadness, a lot of frustration. We don't know all the information, we don't, but, but it, in that moment, I just was sad. And I want us to kind of have that mindset. I want us to think about it, but I don't want us to stay there. As I think about the week behind us, I think about the season that we're in, I want us to think about how do we move forward in these days. And I, I want us to land in a passage of scripture in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to a group of believers, of Jesus followers, who are going through some significant suffering. They're experiencing what we've been calling the last couple of weeks pandemonium. A lot of disorder, a lot of confusion, a lot of uproar. But they're experiencing it specifically because of their faith. And Peter writes a letter to them, and I want to pick up in this letter, starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Notice what Peter says. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Immediately, Peter has this conversation with us that my baseball coach had with me several years ago. Prepare your minds for action. He's saying, you got to get your mind right. So this morning, I want us to land on three essential things that we must possess, must-haves in our lives if we want to live through a pandemonium. And the first thing we've got to have, the first thing we've got to recognize and, and own for ourselves is we've got, to, we've got to have a focused mind. Our mind has to be focused, and it's not just on anything. Peter is saying, hey, prepare your minds for action. In the uh, original language, what he's doing is he's painting a picture of, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that doesn't make sense for us, but picture back in this day, grown men would wear robes. And so when he said, gird up the loins of your mind, there was a word picture going on in their minds and they knew what that was. Because to walk around in a robe is one thing, but to run in a robe is a whole different thing. And I don't say that from experience because I've never run in a robe, but I can imagine that to run in a robe, if you don't gird up the loins, which means to take hold of, to pick them up, to gather them, to to take control of the robe that that, that goes long down your legs, to not have control of that means that as you begin to run, you're gonna face plant. And if you face plant, you can't run anymore. You can't win any battles. You can't be prepared for any action. And so what he's saying, he's saying, hey, gird up the loins of your mind. But he's not saying this for something physical. He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying, take captive your thoughts. Take control of your thoughts. Pay attention to where your thoughts are going and what's being uh, poured into your mind that's stirring you to think certain things. You know, as Jesus followers, as people of faith, I think sometimes we become a little bit passive in our minds and our mindsets. We get a little bit lazy in our approach to God's word. I think we get a little bit passive in our prayer life and the opportunity we have to cultivate intimacy with our heavenly father through prayer. I think we get a little bit lazy in what it looks like to live a life on purpose for God's purposes in our lives. I think we get a little bit lazy and we compromise sin or we treat it as if it's not significant in our lives, that it doesn't really have any danger. We think some of the things that we pursue or some of the things that we do, we think, well, they're really not that bad. And we begin to find ourselves on a slippery slope 
of destruction because we haven't been intentional to take captive those thoughts, to gird up the loins of our mind, to focus our mind. You know, I think even just right now, just, just to, to pause on this, I think that there may be some, even listening, that you're dipping your toes into some things, not with full intent, but also not really paying attention to where you're stepping. Maybe over this pandemic, there's been more opportunities for you to pursue and consume and look at inappropriate, explicit things on your cell phone or on your computer, or on your television at home, because you've had more time to do that alone, isolated. Maybe you're in an unhealthy relationship and all of your godly friends are concerned and they have said, man, we're, we're worried about this. We're not sure this is what's right for you, but you're kind of dipping your toes in, not really fully committed, but not fully committed to stay away either. Just a little bit lethargic. Maybe there's been uh, a pursuit of some unethical practices in your life. And maybe they don't seem significant right now, but I do know this based on what scripture says, that all sin ultimately leads to destruction. Sin births destruction. So there's something important for us to pay attention here. We've got to focus our mind. We've got to pay attention to, to what's going on in our head. The Holy Spirit right now may be telling some of you, hey, that's not okay. You're running after this, but you haven't stopped to just pay attention to it. You haven't stopped to think about it you'll experience the greatest freedom in your life when there are no secrets in your life. What would that begin to look like to just pay attention to it and then maybe even have some conversation with someone? Because we find freedom in confession and in confession we find humility and in humility we find healing. But it takes a focused mind to begin to recognize those things so that we can begin to converse about those things so that ultimately we can find some restoration and healing from some of the destruction and the heartache that we've caused ourselves and maybe even some of the people around us because we just haven't been intentional to focus our mind. That's what Peter is talking about in this. I was, I was thinking through this a couple of weeks ago and I think God convicted me of something really significant. And I just, maybe this is where some of you might be today, even as parents. You know, I, I can become obsessed with my kids and the things that they're pursuing. I can become obsessed with their physical health. I can be obsessed with their school and their education. I can become obsessed with their sports and their pursuit of being good in their sports. And I had this thought a couple weeks ago and it shook me up and I was, I was kind of embarrassed to even think about it, but I just had this thought and I think the Holy Spirit was speaking it to me loudly. and said, if you put half as much intent in the spiritual health of your two boys, as you do in all the other things in their life, what would that look like for them? What would that mean for them? And here's why that's important. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells me, that I am responsible for shaping their minds and pointing them to Jesus. You see, there's an enemy. If you keep reading in 1 Peter and you get all the way to chapter 5 and verse 8, it talks about this enemy that he's prowling around like a roaring lion. He's looking for us. He's looking for you. He's looking for our children because he wants to devour them. There is a predator that is after our kids, not physically, but he is after their hearts and their minds. He wants to use the culture. He wants to use our world to shape them, to distract them, to point them to something that's destructive because that is his ultimate goal for nothing good. 
And man, I just felt the weight of that. And I remembered the, the CEO of MTV. This was 20 years ago. I'll never forget this statement. Somebody asked him, hey, are you trying to influence the teenagers of today? And he said, no, we're not trying to influence them. We're trying to own them. And I'm not trying to just slam MTV or any specific piece of our culture. The reality is, is that if we aren't intentional to focus our mind, focus our thoughts, focus our efforts, to focus our hope on Jesus, then it can lead us to some really un healthy places. So we've got to wake up to this. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, hey, wake up, pay attention. You need to get your mind right. You need to focus your thoughts. But he says he wants us to focus on something specific. He's pointing to this eternal inheritance that we have in Jesus. The idea that we will be like Jesus, that we will be with Jesus, that we will become more like him. One day in a place where there is no more pain, there is no more sadness, there is no more crying, there is no more sickness, there's no more aging, no more wrinkles, no more body aches as our bodies continue to get older, no more disease, no more racial tension, no more injustice, no more COVID. He's pointing us, he's saying, fix your hope completely on that. What would that look like? for us. I think it's interesting that he says completely. Fix your hope completely there. I think the reason is because sometimes I think we consider and we reflect and say I want to know Christ. I want to become more like Christ. But then we kind of add some things to it. And so our hope is not just I want to be like Christ. I want to know Christ more. I want to grow this intimacy I have with him. That I look forward to the day that I get to be with him forever physically in his proximity. But we begin to add to it. And we think, but, but also if you could give me some good health. I've got hope in good health. I've got hope in financial gain. I've got hope in success. My hope is in a good marriage. My hope is in kids who do what I hope that they'll do with their life. And we begin to add all these things onto it. And then when those things don't happen, we find ourselves in a place of disappointment with God. Notice he doesn't point to any of those things. He just says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. What would have to happen in your life for you to truly believe that God loves you and that his promises are true for you. Think about that. What would it have to happen for you to believe that God truly loves you and that his promises are true for you? You see, in in my own life, as I consider that and as you consider that, there's a lot I want God to do for me. I want to be successful in the roles that he's provided for me. I want to have financial security. I want to have good health. I want my kids to be successful. I want them to know him. But my hope, my living hope is in Christ, in knowing him and in becoming more like him for the rest of my days, for all eternity. And I know that God is a good God and he's a loving father and he might provide some of those things that I desire. But even if he chooses not to, even if I find myself in a place of suffering and heartache and pain, I still have hope. I know one of the things that's created a lot of tension for us in these days is this idea that 
will we ever get back to where we were before? We miss what life was like in 2019. We miss some of the things that we were able to do or maybe that we had and we wonder, are we gonna have those things? Are we gonna be able to do the things that we used to do as we get past COVID and COVID-19 is in our rearview mirror? Are we gonna be able to experience life like that? And I don't know the answer to that. But I do know this, that no matter what happens or doesn't happen in our future, that my hope isn't in that. My hope is beyond that, and I'm looking forward to that. I think that's what Peter wants us to see. He wants us to look past that. In Christ, nothing I had or nothing I experienced or nothing that I will experience is better than what's ahead for me in Jesus. Peter goes on, and I wanted to spend a lot more time there than we're going to spend on some of the rest of this, but Peter goes on. He says this in verse 14. He says, as obedient children, he's continuing this idea, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. He says, hey, stay focused on what's ahead. Stay focused completely on this hope. Don't look back. Don't look back at what you used to understand. He describes this as former lusts. I can define that for you a little bit. What he's talking about is the wrong desires that grew out of the wrong ways that you and I used to see the world before we began to trust Jesus. They were the wrong desires. They were formed with the wrong understanding of what really was going on in the world, what this world is all about, what our life is all about. So many of us, we want to run towards the things that we think are going to bring us security, whether it's financial gain, whether it's relationships, success, or security, popularity. We run after these things thinking that that's going to bring us what we need, what we want, what we desire. And we begin to think to ourselves, I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to live life the way that I think I need to live my life. That's the, the life we're born into. That is how we're wired in this broken, prodigal planet. But then there's this moment that maybe you woke up, or maybe right now in this season, maybe even today as you're watching and you're listening, that we wake up and we realize and we recognize the message of Jesus that we were born into and participated into a life of rebellion towards God. And the result of that is death. But God sent a rescue mission. He sent his son, Jesus, who gave his life after living a perfect life. He gave his life for you and me. And then he came back to life. And in his resurrection, you and I have an opportunity at life and an opportunity at restoration with our heavenly father forever. And maybe you woke up to that one day or maybe you're beginning to wake up that, to that today and you decided to commit your life to that, to lay your life down. Maybe you even let the world know and you were baptized and you began to live this life of faith. You began to go on this journey, taking next steps after Jesus. But what Peter wants us to see is he wants us to understand is that at some point, as you begin to live a life after Jesus, it's sometimes easy to look backwards, to become discontent. Maybe we become upset. We become overwhelmed with some of the circumstances going on in our lives. We're hurt. So we have this tendency, this desire to retaliate, to kind of take things into our own hands, to take back control, to begin to trust ourselves instead of trusting him. And Peter would be saying to us today, hey, you need to focus your obedience. Stop looking behind. Stay focused on the hope completely that is in Jesus. Maybe today we just need to recognize what some of that is. Maybe there's some tendencies or some habits we begin to step back into that were from our former life before we met Jesus. And today we just need to call it out. We need to confess it so that we can begin to find freedom 
and begin to walk in some of the freedom because it's absolutely necessary in days of suffering, in pandemonium, in disorder, in chaos and confusion. Don't look backwards. He continues on. He says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So he says, hey, don't look backwards. Nobody drives a car looking in the rearview mirror to see everything behind them, never focused on what's in front of them. There's a reason the rearview mirror is so small and the windshield is so big because what's ahead of us is more important and what's ahead of us is what he's calling us into. He's calling us to focus on holiness. If we wanna get our mind right, we've gotta focus on holiness. What does that even mean? I mean, we think about the word holiness. Where does your mind go? My mind has a tendency to run to something that's kind of old school, that's kind of uh, not relevant anymore, that's kind of uh, just dusty, and, or maybe it's something super legalistic or something that you experienced in church back in the day, and you're like, man, this, this is what holiness is. I'm not sure I want to do anything along these lines. Maybe super religious, but that word comes from the same thing or the same idea of what wholeness would be. It's a perfect goodness. I mean, think about that. A perfect goodness. What would that look like? It would be a perfect love, perfect integrity, perfect unity, perfect grace, perfect justice, perfect beauty, perfect strength, perfection, a perfect goodness. Peter's saying, go after holiness. Well, he's telling us to go after everything that God is. No one desires partial love, partial goodness, partial justice. We desire perfect goodness. God is that perfect goodness. The problem is, is that there's a lot of partial goodness, partial unity, partial love in our world. And God can't exist with that. It's like oil and water, but God's not neutral to it. It's repulsive to him. Anything that's not perfect goodness is repulsive to our Heavenly Father. I remember when I was growing up in high school, we were watching the the movie Schindler's List and we were learning all about the Holocaust and the terrible things that were happening in the Holocaust Holocaust to people. And I remember watching some of that and learning about it and I was angry. I was frustrated. And I think it's a similar response that God has towards anything that's not holy, that's not perfect. It's not a perfect goodness. It's interesting, and Peter, Peter in this passage, he actually quotes a verse from the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. He says, you shall be holy for I am holy. The Hebrew word for holy there means to cut apart, to be completely separate. So here's what Peter's trying to get us to understand. He's saying, hey, a life of faith, even in a time of suffering, is supposed to look different. It's supposed to stand out. It's not supposed to blend in. It's not supposed to be camouflaged in the world. There's a uniqueness to it. It's different. As you begin to reflect on your life, and the way you live your life, the way you conduct your life, are there things that don't match up with what culture would say life should look like? When it comes to things like money, relationships, is there a difference I think that's what Peter's wanting us to recognize. He's wanting us to recognize that we are cut apart as we step into a relationship with Jesus. We're to pursue this holiness. You and I can't be perfect, but we can pursue the holiness because what we're realizing is we're recognizing there's a heavenly father calling us into this because it's actually better for us. 
his perfect goodness results in perfect plans that lead us to a better life. But we've got to trust him. We've got to trust him with our relationships. We've got to trust him with our sexual desires. We've got to trust him with our finances and our resources. And it begins to look different. What would it look like to focus on holiness? So that very first thing is really the biggest thing. We've got to have a focused mind. We've got to get our minds right. The next thing is this, and we'll quickly run through this because I think this is important for us to know, and it kind of builds off of what we just talked about. It says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood of, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Think about that. He did this. Jesus did this. Jesus accomplished this for you. Maybe you need to scratch out you and just put your name there. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The second thing we've got to have is we've got to have this awe for God. We've got to have this awe for God. What does that mean? You know, it's crazy when I think about what is happening in our world, in the world of YouTube. My kids, your kids, maybe you, me, we are obsessed with YouTube. And we'll sit and watch YouTube videos for hours because we have found things and we're watching things that we think are awesome. My boys love Dude Perfect because Dude Perfect creates these experiences that are awesome to them. And so not only do they watch them, they begin to want to repeat those things. It leads them to a response. And the reason that I bring that up is because we are masters of recognizing things that are awesome. We are captivated by awe. And in this passage, in this verse, Peter is saying to have that same awe. The word fear is actually this idea that I would be so captivated by the, by the awe of God. And it would lead me to a response. It shakes me up. It catches my attention and it captivates me. Why? Well, because of what he accomplished. He says that God judges impartially, which means he judges equally everyone for what they have done and why they did that. And that would be really bad news, except he continues on in verse 18, and he says what he did, what he accomplished, how he provide, provided redemption. He redeemed us through his son, Jesus. And so think about it this way. You and I, in a courtroom, and we have committed the most horrendous crime. The judge and the jury have come to their verdict and the judge is reading the verdict to the courtroom and you and I are standing there in our guilt knowing that the consequence of what we have done most likely is going to lead to death. So the judge reads our verdict and he says, I have found both guilty and the result of the crime, the punishment for the crime is death. And this is where God steps in and does something scandalous. Think of God as the judge reading the guilty verdict. The result of the life that you have lived is death. And then he stands up and he takes his judge robe off and he walks out of the judge stand. And he says, but I'm going to step in your place and I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve. That's what he did in Jesus. He stepped off the stand. And he says, I'm going to take it on. 
I'm going to take on what you deserve. He didn't wave some magic dust. He didn't just make some command or some announcement. He accomplished it, and it was brutal. It was miserable. It was humiliating. It was deadly. And he did it for you and for me. And he did it in our place. And when I recognize that and I focus on that, I can't help but to stand amazed in his presence. I can't, I can't help but be caught and captivated by the awe and the wonder of a heavenly father who would love me that much. And it leads me from a place of insecurity to a place of security because I recognize that he didn't buy me with any silver, gold, or money, but he, he purchased me with the blood of his son, Jesus. And it gives me security. It gives me worth. It gives me value. It gives me a reason to live, not just for myself, but for him and for those around me, which leads us to the last thing. We've got to have a focused mind. We've got to have an awe for God. And then we've got to have an extravagant love for others. Look, look how he lands this part of the passage. He says, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. He says, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. He's talking about the believers, followers of Jesus. Fervently love one another from the hearts. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Why is this important? Why did Peter include this in this part of the letter? Get your minds right, he says. Recognize your heavenly father and be captivated by him. And then he says, and you fervently love one another. He says, all in. You stay committed to that. Don't give up on loving one another. In this time of chaos, in this time of suffering, in this pandemonium, display an extravagant love. Why? Have you noticed that in this time, this time of uncertainty, a time of chaos and confusion, of hurt, of grief, of anger and rage, injustice. Have you paid attention to the way that you respond to people, the way that you interact with people? I've tried to for myself, and as I've tried to pay attention, I've recognized there's some gaps. There's some gaps in the way that I love people. And Peter wants us to see this. He wants us to recognize this. You know, Jesus talked about this a lot with his followers when he was on this earth. He talked about love for each other. He says, you will be known as my followers by the way you love one another. That's it. Don't add anything to it. He just says, love one another. It's not something that we can just um, kind of add into our daily life. It's something that we actually become because we recognize that in our flaws, in our gaps, in our missteps, in all the things that we fall on our face doing, that his love was strong for us anyways. And as we recognize that, it leads us to a place of security. And I say this all the time, but there's something important for us to recognize in this. It's why he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible to love others well, to fervently love other followers of Jesus when you can't love yourself. 
And you can't truly love yourself with a healthy love for yourself from a place of insecurity. But when we remember what we just read, what God accomplished on our behalf, we find security. And then all of a sudden, we're not loving people so we'll feel better about ourselves because that's not really loving people anyways. That's using and manipulating people for our own good. And it's a dangerous, destructive place, a place that leads us to isolation and despair because ultimately people realize, I don't know that I want anything to do with that person because it's all about them. And Peter wants us to remember that. He wants us to press into that. He wants us to become more loving with one another. And I'm not sure that in our culture and in our country, there maybe has ever been a more important time for us to step into this more intentionally. He's specifically saying to love other followers of Jesus, to love each other well. He's talking about this new family we step into as Jesus followers. Jesus said this. He says, "Um, who are my mother and my brothers? Remember this passage in Matthew chapter 12, I think? He says, who are my mothers and my brothers? And the disciples are confused. He says, you are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. What he's saying, he's saying, in Christ, we are all family. And we're gonna think different, we're gonna look different, we're gonna behave differently, but there's got to be this common unity that's surrounded and that is cultivated by love for each other, even when we disagree. And you see, in this time where we want to disagree, and we want to shout our voices from the rooftops on what we think and what our opinions are. What if we replace that with being intentional and loving those around us that have a common unity and that unity is in Jesus? Here's what I think happens. The world take note, takes notice. And the world says that's different, but that's good. That's strong. That's life-changing. Maybe we should pay attention to this. Maybe we should learn more about this. And it begins to change the world around us. Not because we're shouting what we believe. Not because we want everybody to know our opinions, but because we love each other well. Peter says this is important in a time of suffering. In Bob Goff's most recent book, he says this. We make loving people a lot more complicated than Jesus did. Every time I try to protect myself by telling somebody about one of my opinions, God whispers to me and asks about my heart. Why are you so afraid? Why are you trying to impress Am I really so insecure that I surround myself only with people who agree with me? When people are flat wrong, why do I appoint myself the sheriff to straighten them out? Burning down others' opinions doesn't make it right. It makes us arsonists. God's end game has always been the same. He wants our hearts to be his. He wants us to love the people near us and love the people we've kept far away. To do this, he wants us to live without fear. We don't need to use our opinions to mask our insecurities anymore. Instead, God wants us to grow love in our hearts and then cultivate it by the acre throughout the world. We'll become in our lives what we do with our love. Those who are becoming love don't throw people off roofs. They lower people through them instead. I read that a couple of weeks ago and I haven't been able to get that last sentence out of my head. Those who are becoming love don't throw people off roofs. They lower people through them instead. It's pointing to the story of the man lowered to meet Jesus by his friends because they had a strong brotherly love for him. The last verse simply says this, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower 
of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Peter's reminding them of something. And then he lands here and he's saying, hey, everything else around you is crumbling, but there's something that doesn't crumble. There's something that will stand forever. Do you have this hope? What's your response to this today? Where does this land for you? There's an invitation in this pandemonium to find peace and that peace is found in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, who are heavy burdened. Is that you today? Is that where this needs to land? To just simply say, Jesus, I boldly want to lay my life down, my desires down, my pursuits down, and I want you to be number one in my life. I want to ask you to do that. I want you to boldly make that decision today. If God is working in your life as you've been listening, what is the adequate response to this? Is the response that you would lay down your life, that you would stop running the way that you want to run, and maybe you would recognize, I want to follow Jesus. If that's you today, Maybe you've slipped away. You've gotten distracted. Maybe there was a decision back in the day that you decided you wanted to make Jesus the number one in your life, the boss of your life, the master, call the shots. You said yes to Jesus, but you've kind of slipped away. Wherever you are, you feel far from Jesus today, just right now. I'm just gonna ask you to say this prayer. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your head. You can say it wherever you're sitting and watching this. Just simply say, Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Just tell him that. Say, I I admit that I've made some mistakes. I admit that I have failed. But today I give you my heart. I give you my life. Will you call the shots from this day forward? And then ask him, say, God, will you give me the strength to live for you? Amen. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this truth. I pray that it would stir something rich, stir something strong in us. In these days that are crazy, in this pandemonium and the chaos, would we find strength in this as we focus our minds, as we look to you and we are captivated with awe and wonder by who you are and what you accomplished on our behalf. And then as we love others around us, fervently, extravagantly. God, in those things, would you work to bring life in some crazy times? We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we should respond today by just continuing to sing praise, adoration, and thanks to a God who is crazy about us. He's crazy about you. So let's sing. Well, I hope today has been encouraging for you. I hope that it's been refreshing um, after a crazy week, some crazy days. Uh, if you were today made a decision to give your life to Jesus, you want to begin to follow him, make him the boss, the master of your life, uh, we want to know that. It's not something we've, we've been called to do uh, as individuals or in isolation. 
We're called to do this together. And so uh, let us know that. You can do that by just texting COF next to 97000, and you'll see a box there that you can check that says, I committed my life to Jesus today. Uh, we want to know that. We want to celebrate that with you. That's a big deal. And uh, so do that. Also, if you're sitting in a living room or maybe you're in a coffee shop or driving down the road in the car with your family or maybe at a watch party, uh, I want to leave you with three questions for some conversation as we end today. The questions are simply this. Uh, As you listen to me talk about being apathetic today in, in our faith, what steps can you take in order to grow your faith or the faith of those around you this week? Think about that. What steps could you take? And the second question is, Are there things in your life or in your lifestyle that don't align with the holiness that we talked about? And then the third question, as you reflect on loving others well, what is one thing you could do this week? Just one thing that you could do that would communicate your love for them. Community of Faith, we love you and we can't wait to see you very, very soon. Have a great week.